Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to John chapter 11. We'll be looking uh, at this kind of whole story of Lazarus that happens here in John chapter 11. But I'd like to start by reading verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the night is not in them, because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And then skipping down to verse 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, What are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the dispersed children of God. So from that day on, they planned to put him to death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is a, a familiar story of the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. It's a story that foreshadows Jesus' own death and his own resurrection. But the way in which John tells this story, it is this event which is the last straw for the Jewish leaders for the Jewish authorities, as far as they're concerned. After this, they will be resolved to get rid of Jesus. And so as we take a look at the story, uh, let's pray together. Jesus, 
May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. I pray that you would continue to speak to us this morning through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the setup for this scene um, may sound pretty familiar to us. A messenger comes to Jesus, letting Jesus know that uh, his friend Lazarus is sick and may die at any moment. Jesus tells his disciples that this illness will not end in Lazarus' death. There's a little bit of irony here in verse 4 when Jesus says, look, this isn't going to lead to Lazarus' death. It won't lead to Lazarus' death, but it will, in fact, lead to Jesus' own death. Jesus decides to hang out a few days before going to Bethany. He waits these two days and he tells his disciples, now we're going to Judea. The disciples say to him, teacher, that doesn't sound like a great idea. The last time we were around these people, they were trying to stone you. They were trying to put you to death. This sounds like a bad idea to start to head back towards Jerusalem. The disciples know that going towards Jerusalem is extremely risky for Jesus. At this point in his life and in his ministry, they're afraid of what this means for Jesus. Jesus explains to them that their friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and, and the disciples think that's a good thing. If he's sleeping, he's getting rest, he might get well. This is a good thing, Jesus, that he's sleeping. Jesus has to tell them that what he means is that Lazarus has actually died. You know, as we've been in um, the Gospel of John over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a number of stories where people are misunderstanding what Jesus is talking about. They're, they're kind of missing the point. They get hung up on different phrases. We talked about Nicodemus a few weeks ago who hears that he needs to be born anew again from above, and he's trying to figure out what exactly that means. Uh, we looked at the story of the woman at the well who Jesus talks to her about living water. And she's not entirely sure what Jesus means by that. And here again, Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep. But he doesn't just mean that Lazarus is taking a good nap and, and recuperating. Lazarus has, in fact, died. And so I feel a little bit for the disciples here. Um, Lazarus is sick, but Jesus wants to wait. And then Jesus decides to go and help. The disciples think Lazarus is sleeping, uh, which they think is good. Jesus says, no, he's actually died. And if I were one of the disciples, I'd be saying, look, Jesus, enough with the word pictures, enough with the analogies, enough with the, the, the misunderstanding and the innuendo, just give it to us straight. How's Lazarus doing? Jesus, we need some straight talk in this moment. He's not sleeping He's died, just tell us that. Jesus does. And Jesus says, in fact, I'm glad that we weren't there so that you may see what's about to happen and believe. And so Jesus decides to go back to his friend Mary and Martha. I want you to see, though, Thomas's response. We often give Thomas this bad rap of being doubting Thomas because of 
what he responds after Jesus' resurrection. He wants to see the, the nail holes. He wants to put his hand in Jesus' side. But in this moment, Thomas isn't really looking towards Lazarus' resurrection. Instead, Thomas says to the other disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. See, the disciples know that this motion towards Jerusalem, this resolve of Jesus to head back to Judea, means that Jesus is setting his face towards his own death. And in this moment, at least, Thomas is saying to the other disciples, let's get ready. Let's go with him. This may mean our own death. They know that this trip towards Jerusalem is a one-way trip. So then we get the scene of the raising of Lazarus. It's, it's familiar to many of us. We touched on it a few months ago uh, here at Spring Creek when we were talking about our tough stuff and dealing with depression. Mary and Martha know that if Jesus would have been there in time, that Jesus could have done something, that Lazarus could have been healed of his sickness. Something could have been done. Jesus says to, to both sisters, your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I, I know Jesus. I know one day he will rise from the dead. I know one day I'll get to see him again, but if you'd have been here, you could have done something now. Jesus says to her, I can do something now. I am the resurrection and the life. This is where we see the, the scene of Jesus weeping with compassion, with, with empathy, maybe a little bit of looking ahead to See how his loved ones may deal with his own death. Maybe he has in his mind where this story is headed. And in this moment, surrounded by others who are grieving, he's just, uh, he meets with them in their grief. Jesus goes and tells them to remove the stone. Even though Lazarus has been dead for Four days, the decomposition process has, has started. Um, I, I like the King James Version here, which says, he stinketh. Um, there's this, this revulsion to, to taking back the, the stone. Don't do this to Lazarus. Don't do this when his body has started to decompose. But Jesus has the stone rolled back and he calls out, Lazarus, come out. Now, in my mind for a long time, I kind of pictured like this mummy kind of walking out of the tomb all wrapped up. But the way that the, the Jewish people would have wrapped Lazarus' body, he wasn't just going to walk out of that tomb. And so there's actually this, this other kind of miracle of this transportation that happens. Um, Jesus is moving the body out of the tomb, and he has to instruct the people that are there to unwrap him, to unbind him. Lazarus is found to be alive. It's an exciting time for the disciples. It's a, an exciting moment for Mary and Martha. And, and there's a number of people around Jesus who really see what he's about, who uh, start to follow him, who take this 
uh, sign and this miracle for what it is, and they start to follow him as Messiah. But there's another group. Verse 46 says, But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. And the Pharisees, the, the leaders, the, the high priests, the chief priests, they all get together and they ask themselves, what are we going to do? We can't have someone running around raising people from the dead. We might have people start to believe that he's the Messiah. Certainly the Romans aren't going to like this and they're going to come and they're going to crush the temple. They're going to crush the nation. They're going to take away our authority. They're going to take away everything that we've worked for. And the high priest Caiaphas, he comes and, and he says, look, it's, it's better for you to have one man die for the people, die for the nation, than to have the whole nation destroyed. I love that, that John points out that in a twisted way, Caiaphas is actually prophesying. Uh, Caiaphas is actually speaking truth. He's revealing something deeper that he doesn't even understand. He's just talking about getting rid of this rabble rouser in order to save the Jewish nation. But John says, look, one man, Jesus, is going to die for the scattered people of God. See, there's fallout to the raising of Lazarus. In, in the uh, synoptic gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, kind of the last straw in, in the way they tell their stories is Jesus cleansing the temple. Jesus flips over the table, drives out the money changers, says this is a house of prayer for the nations, and uh, the Pharisees, the, the leaders, they see this incident, and this is it. We have to get rid of him. We can't just have somebody coming in and overthrowing the temple in this way. But in the way John tells his gospel, it's the raising of Lazarus, which is the, the catalyst for getting rid of Jesus. This is the event that the leaders can't have happen anymore. This is the point where Jesus decides to draw within range of Jerusalem, within range of the authorities. This is the act that will provoke the Pharisees and the chief priests to conspire to put Jesus to death. And as I look at this passage, I think, why is it this event that they can't stand? What is it about raising Lazarus that other people are celebrating? People are being given life. I mean, this is amazing. This is wonderful. What is it about this that the Pharisees say, nope, we can't have any more raising people from the dead? Why is this the catalyst for getting rid of Jesus? Instead of rejoicing, instead of marveling, at least a moment where the, the Jewish leaders stand back and say, whoa. The leaders say, we can't have any of this resurrection nonsense. I think the answer is a little bit in that the status quo doesn't like to be disturbed. 
we have this phrase that nothing is as sure as death and taxes. Now, we just have had our tax deadline extended, so I'm not even sure how certain that is. I guess we'll pay it at some point. Um, certainly, when Jesus is asked about taxes, he has some interesting um, ways of responding to the whole tax question. But the most status quo thing, what everyone experiences, death, is in this story being reversed. And if not even death is permanent, then certainly the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the high priests, their authority, they're starting to realize is not permanent, is not going to hold on. If death is getting reversed, their control, their power may come to an end. See, what Jesus' disciples, what they're starting to understand and starting to wrap their mind around before Jesus goes to raise Lazarus. Remember, they, they remind Jesus that Judea, or moving towards Jerusalem, is not safe. Why Thomas says, let us go that we may die with him. What Jesus' disciples are starting to understand, what John wants to make clear to us by how he tells the story, is that the journey to resurrection is in fact paved with death. The disciples are starting to understand the consequences of following Jesus. Many of them will uh, deny, they will doubt, one will betray. But the truth is that in the end, a lot of them are going to be persecuted and martyred for following Jesus. Discipleship in the, in the way of Jesus is an invitation to lay down our own lives, to give up control, or, or maybe as we're finding out right now, the, the illusion of control over our own lives in order to follow Jesus. Thomas' statement here can sound like he's just kind of giving up, but I think it's really a profound statement of discipleship that despite the fact that he kind of knows what's going to happen, he says, let's go with Jesus. Next Sunday, um, we're going to be gathering in, in a little bit different way to remember the, the last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples. And we will recall the, the service of the master. We will eat together as the beloved community. We will remember the death of Jesus in our place. And so for next Sunday's worship, you're going to have to do some Preparing for worship, we'll invite you to get a basin or a bucket and a towel. We'll invite you to get ready for a, a simple meal that we can eat um, at the same time, just in many different places. Get some grape juice and get some bread. And we'll remember Jesus' act of service. We'll share uh, some community meal across the, the interwebs. And we'll remind one another of Jesus' body and blood broken and poured out for us. And we don't mean that this virtual celebration to become our new thing. 
We believe that gathering as the body in real, gathered, embodied presence is important. But right now, in this situation that that we're in, we also feel the need to be reminded of the loving, serving body of Christ, of the sacrifice of Jesus and the hope we have in Him beyond viruses, beyond uh, brokenness, beyond sin, and as the story points out, even beyond death. And so we hope that you can watch next week. There's uh, a link to some instructions down in the description below, um, and so you can check that out. We'll also have an email go around to Spring Creek folks about some other instructions uh, for gathering next week. But I want us to remember as we think about this story that even while the disciples know where this road is headed, the resurrection of Lazarus is meant to be a foreshadowing, to give some hope and something to look forward to. And we talked back before Lent started about the transfiguration as this high point, this moment to encourage the disciples as they enter the valley. A couple weeks ago, it was the restoring of the blind man's sight. It was hope for healing and restoration. This story, the resurrection of Lazarus, is a type of spoiler alert for the disciples meant to give hope for the journey. This journey through Lent that continues, but also this journey through quarantine and isolation that we're in. I read someone uh, write the other day that I didn't know how much I was going to give up for Lent. In this valley, in this separation, I've had a number of moments just wanting this isolation to be over. I've thought, well, this has kind of been an interesting social experiment, but I'm ready for it to be over. I heard someone the other day refer to having Zoom fatigue. Uh, We've had some meetings on on Zoom for prayer and Bible study, but, you know, if you've been on three or four Zoom calls and our kids are on Zoom with their teachers, it's great, but it's not the same as being with people. I hope that a little like Thomas, we can resolve to continue to follow Jesus. And that, and that may involve the death of convenience, the death of those things that don't really matter. It means a willingness to give up our life, to be wrapped up in the life of Jesus. I hope that these continued Connections with one another encourage you. They've been an encouragement to me. These stories that we've been reading about and studying in Scripture are meant to give the disciples hope. May they give us hope even now as we're separated physically from one another. I pray that you'll find hope in these coming days Uh, as we continue to meet and connect in different ways as the body of Christ. Amen.